A Columbia teacher is no longer teaching after allegedly showing a student a pornographic video. And the Columbia community gathered to remember those killed in New Zealand. Then a look at the process of creating a graphic for a story. Show us what Columbia looks like. This is what Columbia looks like. Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. Junior music major Jack Mahames was sitting in the lobby of the Music Center, studying when adjunct professor Frank Donaldson walked up and showed him a pornographic video. I'm not going to divulge too much into what the video showed, but it did show multiple people engaged in sex acts. Because I, I was almost wanting to give Frank the benefit of the doubt, thinking like it might have just been just a joke. But then I thought, what if I'm not the only one? Yeah. And so I spoke up, you know, one, because it's wrong for a teacher to do that, but two, because I didn't want this to happen to anyone else. Mahaim said the video was shown for 15 to 20 seconds. After being showed the video, he told adjunct professor in the music department, Nick Tremulous. Tremulous alerted associate professor and acting chair of the music department, Sebastian Hoyts. The complaint was eventually taken to Title IX. I have Alexandra Yetter, who was the reporter who worked on this story with Kendall Polidori. I have her in studio now. Now, Alexandra, this is somewhat confusing. So was the student with Professor Donaldson at the time? Were they separate? Did he just walk up to him? What exactly happened? Jack Mahames was actually just sitting in the music center lobby on a sofa. He was working on midterms at the time. And the press professor just walked up to him and just sort of shoved his phone in his face and showed him the video, like, hey, look at this. Hmm. So it wasn't, so he just kind of did. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't prefaced or anything. It was very random. So did Jack and Professor Donaldson know each other or did he just walk up to a random student? Donaldson wasn't Jack's professor per se, but he, Jack knew Professor Donaldson from when he would pop into his sophomore ensemble class and listen to everyone working on their music and he said he described him at that point as a funny and a goofy person pretty much Jack, a nice Jack guy said professor donaldson was yeah funny, and, goofy. funny and, and nice and just a goofy guy so when you were talking to jack and professor donaldson showed him the video was jack like what like was yeah. he really confused he was super shocked he didn't know how to react he didn't know what to say to him afterwards well is the professor currently teaching at Columbia anymore? He, from when I spoke to him, it sounds like he is not in the classroom anymore, but the Columbia News Office declined to comment on how he was removed, whether he was fired or suspended or let go. Uh, did I think you may have talked with someone, their name escapes me, but someone says he was fired. Was that a coworker, or do we not know exactly? Jack Mahanes was told by his professor, Nick Tremulous, that he was fired, but we could not confirm that with the news office. Mm -hmm. And then through various reporting, it eventually got to the Title IX office. Uh, I know you talked with Jack a little bit. How did he say the investigation went when it went to Title IX? He said that both the Title IX coordinators, uh, Janelle Rivera and Veron Fisher, handled it very well. And also very efficiently, it happened within a couple days. And he also said that Sebastian Hoyts, the uh, acting chair of the music department who reported it to Title IX, they all were very professional and handled it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Well, when did this, roughly, when did this incident happen? It was only a couple of weeks between 
knowing about it and the teacher no longer being in class. Yeah, so it happened on a Friday. He, the student, told his professor that same day, and then by Monday, the professor was gone. Hmm. But you were also able to get in contact with Professor Donaldson. Is that correct? Yes. So what exactly did he say? What was that conversation like? He expressed a lot of guilt over what he had done. He said he was very sad that it had taken place and he was sorry that he had done it. He also mentioned that he felt bad his students had no um, replacement professor that since he was out of the classroom. And he said he'd like to have his job back. That this was going to be so serious. It was not meant as a harmful thing. And I'm shocked. Very shocked that there was that kind of response. And I had some good students currently who have been doing great, great work. And I'm sorry that they have to suffer over this. And I really want my job back. I know there is, uh, I think, an appeals process. Both the college and CFAC, uh, the union that represents adjunct professors, are investigating the incident, and investigations under the Title IX office can take up to 60 days. That includes time for like a hearing and an appeals process. So if he wants his job back, does it sound like he's at least interested in appealing? He's definitely interested in appealing from what he told me. Uh, do you know if there's any timetable for that or what his next plans are, or that he's just interested in it? He's just interested in it, although it does take 60 days, I think you said, to um, seek an appeal. Did Jack mention anything else in terms of the investigation? Not in terms of the investigation, but in terms of how it was handled afterwards, he expressed that he was disappointed that the college, A, didn't let him know that the professor was fired or suspended or however it went down, and B, that students across campus were not alerted to this in a crime advisory. He said something along the lines of, we get told that things happen on the red line, but we don't get told when things happen in our own buildings, such as sexual assault. Yes, because this kind of went down and not many students may have known that there was a sexual harassment case even in the last month. Is that kind of what he was getting at? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay, Alexandra, is there anything else we need to know about this story? I don't think so. Oh, well, thanks for coming in. For additional information on Title IX resources and how to file a complaint, go to ColumbiaChronicle.com and search Title IX in the search bar. That's all for this story but stay tuned for more. On Friday, March 15th, a white male live-streamed a horrific terrorist attack at two mosques in New Zealand, killing 50 people and critically injuring dozens more. New Zealand Prime Minister immediately proposed to ban assault rifles in the hopes of preventing an attack like this again. Columbia Student Diversity and Inclusion students held a vigil for the victims on Monday, March 18th, and the Muslim Student Association held a public meeting on Wednesday to talk about the event and what can be done. Here to talk about it are Ethan Sandok, multimedia reporter at the Columbia Chronicle, and Yasmin Shika, staff reporter. So, Ethan, you attended the vigil. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so it was Monday evening. Um, I went out to um, second shoot for our news editor, Miranda, and uh, we went out to the area that... Um, I believe holds like the summer dances out in uh, Grant Park and um, it started at 5 p.m. 
and people, you know, slowly came in, and it at first seemed like it might be a pretty low attended event, um, but there was a pretty big group of people that sort of came in, and then there was even people coming in as it um, was, I guess, ongoing. Um, but the it was it was awesome to see um, just like I guess exactly the the amount of people that were there um and it was really just a what i would imagine to be like a perfect kind of like cutout of what columbia is it was faculty and students and of every color and creed just coming out to i mean stand in solidarity it was it was beautiful um do you know around how many people showed up to the event um yeah, I, I would say that it was probably in the, like, 35 to, like, 45 range. It was, like, it started kind of as, like, a group of people talking um, before it officially started. They handed out um, candles, and they formed, like, a uh, just a big circle um on that little uh, area that's like wooden and it was just a uh, they yeah they formed a, a circle and they said you know we're here um just to stand in solidarity and we're gonna observe a 10 minute period of silence and um then afterwards you can uh, meet with us and come back to i believe it was the loft um, and, you know, kind of further the discussion. Great. Um, so what were some of the emotions that um, you saw present at this event? Um, I mean, obviously it was a very somber event. Um, everybody was there. Um, and beforehand, it, I guess, beforehand and before it all, you know, officially started, there was attendees there. And... Um, Instead of, you know, dwelling on the somber aspects, it was a lot of people just getting to know um, each other. Uh, it was just whoever could be there. And so, obviously, there's a lot of people who may not have interacted before, and they, you know, took the time and actually met and talked with the people that were there. Um, and then once it started, it was... I mean, for a 10-minute period of silence, there was a very, like, just prominent kind of feeling that you were there and that it was, like, you were there for a, for a reason. Like, it was, you, I guess it probably depended on, you know, person to person, but I feel like, um, I guess personally and then... Um, the president of the MSA spoke afterwards and um, she kind of addressed the same sort of things that I personally was feeling and it was just like you know obviously that enough is enough like we're you know, tired of doing these and um, but also it's the fact that um, I mean if there's if there's any doubt in your mind about um, how to feel about any person you know obviously what happened was something that was on the far extreme side and it was a terrible thing but you know whatever you're feeling it's I mean could all have been solved just by having a conversation with 
people. Um, and I feel like that was kind of the big thing. And like I said earlier, it was evident just like as people were coming in, they it would, people just stopped and talked to each other. And I feel like that was a big thing, um, a, a big part of the, the message um, that I feel like was being told. And then my last question for you, um, was there a specific reason you wanted to cover the event? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, as a part of multimedia, it's, I feel like um, my job kind of goes in the same way that a lot of uh, our written reporters go, and um, we obviously want to tell the stories and um, and the goings-on of what's happening, you know, in on the campus, in the city, in the world, uh, and this is, you know, no exception, but I wanted to kind of go into this with the same sort of mentality as the message that was being portrayed and, you know, just have a conversation with us. Um, and I wanted to be able to, you know, put faces to to names that you might read about in the paper or like president of the MSA or various students. But I feel like there's a a stronger, I guess, connection to the names when you have a face associated and you see the all of the emotions that are actually happening in that time and when and you can see the I mean what I would call just the the pain on someone's face when they say enough is enough like we're tired of doing this and I wanted to have that be accessible to not only the the Columbia community but the the greater community so, Yasmin, you are vice president of MSA. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about what the meeting was about? Yeah, so we, on Friday, we immediately wanted to do something, you know, the MSA board. Uh, Ula and Dania and I, we were texting each other the whole day, talking about, you know, what could we do as Columbia students, a part of the MSA, to help you know, bring awareness and talk about change. So we came up with the idea of making our MSA meeting more so open to the public, which we are always open to the public, but we wanted to make a point to invite other organizations to come out to talk about this horrific tragedy. Um, you know, being Muslim and going to a school where, you know, there aren't that many Muslims. We weren't expecting a huge turnout considering our MSA is less than 10 people. I think we're at about eight people right now. Um, and when the event came around, it actually ended up being over 25 people showing up. And with an attendance of over 25 people, obviously, you know, more than half of those people were non-Muslim. And that was such a humbling turn of events because we didn't even expect to have like 15 people and to see almost 30 people there you know that's that's so like heartwarming and to us when we see all these people coming out and they're talking about this event and having them actually start crying too you know saying like we don't want you to feel like you're excluded like this shouldn't have happened this isn't fair coming from people who aren't even muslim like that really speaks volumes to us it also made us very emotional um you know we went through his presentation and then at a point uh, we talked about the misrepresentation of, like, minorities in the media. And for me personally, being a journalism major, you know, I say this all the time, but, like, a senseless tragedy creates a senseful community. And going into the media, um, 
this is something I want to address. And when atrocities such as this take place, it reminds me why I personally wanted to go into journalism. So for the MSA, our goal wasn't just to have a public meeting. We're also looking to, you know, see what we can do next, see what type of paperwork we can send to the Capitol or what type of demonstrations we can have because we refuse to go quiet about this. We refuse to remain silent. This shouldn't happen in any house of worship, in any school, in any public place. This shouldn't happen at all, public, private, anywhere. And for us, it's not just about the Muslim community. It's also about humanity and what's right and what's wrong. Um, so does MSA have any future plans um, of what you guys hope to do? Yeah, so um, we're currently talking about a couple of different things that we'd like to do, but um, what I can say for sure is that this isn't going to be the last type of event that we hold like this because we think it's really important to have, you know, different members from our school addressing topics that might not appeal to them, but they appeal to the human audience and who we are as people. And then being Muslim, um, how did this event on campus make you feel? Yeah, so, you know, I, I came into work that same day, you know, I was pretty quiet about it right away because, you know, I was still trying to wrap my head around this. Um, although it's not shocking, for a terrorist attack to happen these days. Um, it was shocking to hear about it happening in New Zealand. And it was even more shocking to see that 50 people died. Um, it's just disappointing because, you know, like we've seen, we've seen this happen in the Tree of Life synagogue. And then we've seen this happen in the Charleston church. And now it's happening in two New Zealand mosques. Places that Houses of worship should not ever be a place where a person should feel unsafe. You should be able to walk into your house of worship and do what exactly what you went there to do, feel good about yourself, feel humble, and be able to walk out of there and proceed on with your day. Nobody should ever have to walk into their house of worship and fear for their lives. And a lot of mosques, churches, synagogues, et cetera, they're taking extra precaution. I know personally, like where I live, um, like my local mosque is doing an entire training session on what to do if there's an active shooter. And it's just so sad that it's come to that because no religious organization, no school, no public or private place should ever have to, you know, do these types of things. So it's just, it was sad. It was rough. It was a rough day. It was a rough weekend. Um, you know, we're getting there. There were a lot of tears shed during this meeting. So it it was rough. So my last question for you then is, what is one thing um, that you think people should take away from this event? I think that, you know, when atrocities such as this one happen, we need to make it a point to come together and say this can't happen again. And it's not fair that this has happened time after time after time again. And, you know, in this specific instance, it happened in a different country, but specifically gearing towards the U.S., you know, there have been multiple shootings in the U.S. You know, like we can literally name an entire list from Vegas to Florida to preschools to concerts to to mosques, to synagogues, to churches, you know, like we can go on and on on this. But 
I think what we have to do and what our job, you know, as millennials, as even journalists, it's our job to make sure that we are representing our nation correctly. And it, it's our job to say enough is enough and we have to make a change. You know, it's thoughts and prayers aren't enough anymore. We need to do these thoughts and prayers, you know, but at the same time, we also have to take a stand. You know, we have to talk about what are some things that we can do? How can we implement change? How is it that not even a week after this attack, New Zealand is already banning assault rifles? You know, the U.S. could definitely benefit from, you know, New Zealand's prime minister. I definitely think that we could talk about this a little more and address, you know, what could we do? You know, maybe if we don't want to ban assault rifles, um, we could suggest ways to limit um, accessibility towards them. You know, really look at the person that you're selling this to, you know, do background checks, make sure that everything everything's okay. But I think that definitely from this, we can't stay silent and we should not stay silent. Great. Thank you so much, Ethan and Yasmin, for joining us and talking about this. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. That's all for this story. Stay tuned for more. So today we have Grace Senior, a graphic designer for the Columbia Chronicle, um, to speak with us a little bit about her graphics. So Grace, could you just tell us um, what graphics you worked on this week? Yeah, so this week has actually been an interesting week. I've been a little bit graphics heavy. Um, I started out with... Uh, your compost story graphic um, which was super fun and then I went on to do a graphic for the civic media article coming out about the new major or master's program I think it is uh, for Columbia Um, I also did another presidential candidate um, headshot um, which was super cool and I'm also doing affordable health care act graphic and I think Knox is talking to them about me doing a Native American demographic graphic Very cool. as well. So for the civic media one what was like the graphic that you kind of came up with? So that one was interesting because I didn't have I didn't start off knowing as much about it as I wanted to um, especially just not really understanding what <laughs> civic media is mm-hmm. um, and so I had to do a little bit more research than I normally find I have to do um And I ended up just kind of going with a simple black and white graphic, which actually is not what I usually do either, but I just felt like it portrayed the program a little bit better. Um, Yeah. Okay, so like what was kind of your inspiration behind the graphic then, since you said you didn't really know about civic media? So when I did my research, I kind of just fell upon what they were describing the program as. And so civic media seems to be a lot of different types of artists, engineers, innovators um, working together for the good of the people around them. And so I went with kind of a little hodgepodge of a couple of different um, little visual designs of like a, a paintbrush, an artist cap, a pencil and notepad, symbolizing a lot of different aspects that come together to create the civic media program. Great. And then, so 
when you create your graphics, do all of them kind of have like a grace like signature? Like if somebody saw it, would they be able to point it out and be like, that's a grace? (laughs) (laughs) That's a funny question. I honestly was not sure uh, about that. I've actually been thinking about that for the past couple weeks because um, someone else in the office came up to me and they were like, I knew the graphic of this one was yours because of such and such because it just looked like something you would do. And I was like, how do you define your own sense of like your own style, artistically speaking? Um, And so I actually asked I was like I don't really know what you mean by this Uh, apparently I use a lot of hands Mm -hmm. in my graphics uh, which I really love to do I feel like it just portrays uh, a sense of humanity a lot better Um, but also I just have like a I use vector graphics mainly so there's a there's a little bit of a crispness that I have um, that someone who may use like a a drawing in um, like a scan of a drawing or a Premiere Pro drawing or any in, in any other um, application may not have. Um, yeah, so Vector is just a little bit, a little bit crisper. And then do you have like a certain process that you go through like each time you have a graphic? Like do you have like specific things that you do or like I don't know, some people have like they have to listen to music when they do something, you know? Uh, I do love listening to music, so I'm usually listening to I, – I have to listen to something. I can't have no – having silence is mm-hmm. not the way I work. I can't do it. Too many thoughts. Overwhelming. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I do definitely listen to music. Um, I start out – I go up to the reporter, and I ask them a lot about their story because I feel like you can get a lot more from – their point of view when you're talking to them rather than if you send them an email like you can get some information but I feel like the way people talk about what they're writing also gives off a lot more about what they're trying to say than just the words that they put in an email Mm -hmm. and do you have like a, a favorite graphic that you've ever done oh that's a very tough one no I don't I think um I think my favorite graphic is every graphic that I do. I like to put as much as I can into every single graphic. And so each time I do a new graphic, I'm, I'm very, I like to be happy with it. Mm -hmm. And then, so at the Chronicle, we do have like different categories for like stories and stuff like arts and culture, Metro campus. Um, is there like a specific one that you work with or do you do it all across the board? Oh, I'm totally across the board. Definitely. A lot of everything. Mm -hmm. And then, so how many graphics would you say you do a week for the Chronicle? I believe on average, um, it's been a little bit more this week (laughs) as it is for some weeks and sometimes it's a little less, but my average um, is around three a week. And then is there like a set time it usually takes you to do a graphic or does it kind of depend? It kind of depends, but I could say around four hours maybe but it it definitely depends on the intricacy of the graphic yeah and I you did say that you're doing the presidential candidates which Mm -hmm. is awesome I've seen those and thank you they're like spot on thank you Um, so you guys should really check those out um but how do you go about doing a graphic of like a person and trying to make it you know 
as creative as possible but also as like realistic as possible yeah that's a really good question I actually didn't start doing graphics of people until the past year or so Uh, it kind of really scared me because I didn't want to misrepresent someone Mm -hmm. Um, and so originally I I have done a lot of like tracing first of like importing a picture of the person into illustrator and then just um going over it with a simple lines pencil and just making sure that I have the basic outline and the basics of the details of their face so with the presidential candidates I'll go over it and I'll trace the outside of their head um the shape I feel like that it varies a lot. There are a lot of things about people's faces that you wouldn't really expect to change because you're like, oh, it's a head. It's basically an oval, but it's really not. (laughs) And then the lines on their face. A lot of people have different types of smile lines or different types of lines around their eyes. Um, So I think those really um, tell you a lot about the person. And then after that, it's more so about how much detail you add. Um, that kind of makes it a different type of artistic style. Great. And then just one last question for you. Um, So we do have the graphics team and the photos team at the Chronicle. Um, What would you say is, um, besides the fact that it's a graphic compared to a photo, what's like the biggest difference in having a graphic describing a story compared to a photo describing a story? I feel like when you have a photo describing a story, you're kind of, you're constrained a little bit more to what you can capture when. And with a graphic, you can get a little bit, go a little deeper into the story um, and find what the motivation is behind that story a little bit better. Um, So it really also all depends on how willing you are to look super deep into why someone is writing that story and what they're actually trying to portray about the story itself. But I think both can be used so beautifully in different ways and portray exactly what you want them to. Just really depends. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Everyone, please go check out Grace Senior's graphics every week for the Chronicle. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CEC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of The Columbia Chronicle and WCRX, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of the Chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride, Chronicle Headlines is produced and hosted by Blaze Mesa, Kendall Polidori, and Yasmin Shika. We'll see you all next week.